the intro to another show that we're doing to college kids, and uh, but it's the same one that we do for uh, Heart of the Matter 2.0. Want to welcome you tonight. Let's have a quick prayer, Lord. We uh, we seek your wisdom. We seek that your will will be known, your intentions known. Prepare the state to uh, receive uh, people who are seeking truth, and uh, and have them uh, prepare a place for them to be able to uh, to grow in you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I made some really bold statements. Uh, before wrapping the show up, I said one: the so-called Christian churches of Utah have taken exiting LDS people and are placing them wrongly in religious bondage, which stands in opposition to the directives in the Word of God. Then I said, we are going to go after them publicly by name and relentlessly demanding in the name of God that they stop claiming to have any authority over people, that they stop preaching the frightfully unbiblical uh, tenet of the end of the world, and that they stop preaching tithes and taking up donations, etc., etc. Finally, I said, without any hesitation, we at campus have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth, and we invite any and all to either join us and uh, to come and join us and be free in Him. Now, that last one, you know, I say it, I have to fight a smile saying it. You got to understand that I believe it, and, but uh, you have to understand what I mean by it. It's really bold. Who has the right to say it? The Mormons unabashedly say that. In fact, they go even take it to a greater degree. They say we are the only true church on the face of the earth. I mean, that's something they have said forever, and they've built quite an empire on that one. Notice that is not what I said. Uh, I simply said that at campus we have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth. Are we the only ones who have it? No, never. I didn't say we're the only ones who have it. And did we create it? No, we did not create it. It's been around since Christ. So any church, any person who has this approach, and there's millions of them and have been over the course of history, share in the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth. And if it's true, if this approach can be proven to be true by the Bible, then I think that we should say without hesitation, it's the best approach. I'm not ashamed of that. And I'm not ashamed, you know, in Christianity, we have this, this, this nice, nice thing that we play. Well, our approach is good, but all of them are good. Baloney. Baloney. There are, there are approaches that are good and there are approaches that are not. And if there's one that's better than the rest of them, why not say it? So, I want to begin to explain how we have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth. Not the specifics. They're going to come later and shows later on down. But upon a couple principles tonight, really quickly. Let me appeal to this question about do you have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth through two separate passages of Scripture. In the first one, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman. You're all familiar with this. It says in John 4, 23, 24, Jesus says to her, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers, you know, he's, he only cares about that. He doesn't care about non-true worshipers. He cares about true worshipers. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must Worship him 
in spirit, and in truth. From this, we can clearly see that true worshipers of God worship Him from two positions, not just one, spirit and truth. If we only worship Him in spirit, we don't have the truth, then we can't be considered true worshipers. If we only worship Him in truth, but without the spirit, uh, or the spirit and, or the truth, either one, you can't be considered a true worshiper. You have to worship, Jesus says, you must worship God the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus said it. So we know that if we have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth, we have to somehow prove that we are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. How do we prove that? How can we use the Bible to show that we are doing that? Everyone claims to be doing that. So what is a factor that might be key to this? Well, uh, Jesus said, you have to worship God in spirit and truth. Paul comes along, and this is what he says. Now, the Lord is the spirit, or the Lord is that spirit, one way or the other. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, ready? There is liberty. Ah, we have, now we have kind of a way to see. If you're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's how you know. It's real simple. You know, people can say, well, oh, we worship in spirit and truth. We worship in spirit and truth. All right, wonderful. Let's go to your church and see how much liberty you're bringing to the lives of the people through the way that you're worshiping in spirit and in truth. I think that we can add here that where the spirit of the Lord, there is also truth. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is also truth. So spirit and truth are going to equal liberty. I think we can make that equation. So, true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Greek term for liberty here is eleutheria. And it is used ten times in the New Testament. And in those places, it refers to everything from liberty in civil authority, civil matters, and moral matters, liberty and moral matters, liberty and ceremonial, communal, personal, individual. It also is tied to liberty and freedom from corruption, from judgment of other people, that, that freedom and liberty to, have, to be free from judgment of other people, and from the law. So putting it all together, I think we'd say that worshipers must worship God in spirit and in truth, and that the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Not some liberty, not a little li- liberty, there is one word, liberty. Okay? In the places that offer the best approach to Christianity, on the face of the earth, there will be liberty. Freedom. This is what Jesus came to bring. Go all the way back to the Old Testament. He came to set the captives free. He came to open the prison doors to them that are bound. All of this stuff is about being loosed, just like the children of Israel, loosed from uh, Egyptian bondage. The more liberty, the better the approach. 
The less liberty, or the more liberties taken from someone, the worst, or the worse the approach. Get it? So we're going to go to a clip from the board of a direction here and show you something we pre-taped. It takes about four minutes, and it's going to explain something that happens within religion. Fire away, Seth. Okay, so on the board I have crudely drawn an outline of the mortal Christ, kind of how we see him, you know, he's got the long hair and beard, whether or not he did, we don't know. I'm sorry for the arms, I didn't do well with the arms, but, uh, and this is how we tend to represent him, but just try to imagine that this illustration is, uh, you can see he's filled with red stripes, and what I want this to represent is complete Christianity. So, this is complete Christianity. I mean, beginning to end, it's everything illustrated by the person of Christ. All right? And then you can see over here, I have written, some, I've drawn some shapes, a triangle, a circle, and a square. And then in those, I have religious rhetoric. And then I have religious demands. And then we have religious practices. Okay? And, and in those things, every time somebody decides to take these things and put them uh, in here, what happens is we lose this much of him. And, and, and so the wholeness of what he is is lost and replaced by rhetoric or demands or practices that men and women impose upon us as though they were additions or subtractions that are necessary to the individual. If you understand that Christ Jesus, I mean, I mean it's, it's not a redundancy, but let me just put it. It's all. This is all him. All him. And almost always, we try to avoid it here at campus, but I'm sure we're guilty of it somewhere along the line. But almost always, people will say, yeah, but, yeah, but. Now, after, now, this is just one example of religious practices and one example of religious demands and one example of religious rhetoric. But just what happens when you start doing this all over the place? I mean, you become less and less of him, and it fills up with, with, with darkness, really. It fills up with non-liberty. That's what I'm trying to illustrate here, is this is how religion takes all that is Christ and pulls it away and turns it into their own thing. So if a, if a church is not taking Christ, so to speak, and setting him there in your lap or in your mind or on your heart every week, and you enter and you exit with the fullness of just him, but you walk out with some of these dark spots, they are taking your liberty. Let me just put it this way in, in wrapping this up. Jesus, Christianity, is an entire package. It's not partial here or there. It's the full thing. And so when the entire package is understood and given, somebody truly can live and understand, breathe, have relationship in Christ. But when we take that package and remove sections of it, even sections we think are really important, 
and we do that to somebody's faith in the all of Christ, we are harming them. We are hurting their direct relationship, and we're not letting them decide what Jesus wants them to do by the spirit that we trust. All right. So because of the way we approach the faith, which again is not the product of my imagination, but the product of the word uh, applied, we do not, we don't have religious rhetoric. Um, no demanded religious practices or rights. No demands on people's minds. They don't have to agree with us. Theologies, they can think what they want. Beliefs, pocketbooks, they don't, we don't pass the plate. We don't have the ties. We, the, the, uh, the time, volunteerism, I mean, everything is open. People do what they want to do and all are welcome. Because of all these things, which the Bible makes clear, I suggest that we are in a position to say that we have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth, as bold as that, that is. Now, if you are a person who wants demanded rituals and rites and practices and rhetoric, you're welcome to find it. It's out there, you know, almost anywhere you look. We view that as a right of every believer to go and do what they want. That's subjective Christianity. They can go and they can be a whatever and do whatever. And if that's what they believe, you can see from our interviews with people, if that's how they want to do it, they're fine with us. That, we believe that's another reason why we have the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth, because it, we believe it's subjective. You can go and pursue God as you want. There's liberty in him then why, you may be asking yourselves, are you going after churches and pastors in the state and elsewhere if everyone has the liberty to subjectively do and choose uh, where they stand? The answer goes back to worshiping God in spirit and truth with liberty being the result. Where individuals are often unaware of what is spirit and truth, what real liberty looks like, pastors ought to know the difference. They ought to know the difference. They themselves will say, we're held up to a higher standard. So I'm just holding them up to the higher standard that they believe that they are supposed to uh, be part of and support. They ought to do everything they can to increase liberty. Because that's where the Spirit of the Lord is, where there's liberty. Uh, and not decrease it with any sort of bondage. So pastors and religionists are, listen to this, they're huge on accountability. They love that stinking word. And they love men to be accountable to other men. Be accountable to an elders board. Be accountable to your deacons. Be accountable to accountability partner. Be accountable to your group, to your small group. Uh, and this is a claim they've had against me for years. He's not accountable. He doesn't have any accountability, right? So let me ask you something. What has them being accountable to their elders boards and deacons and their accountability groups amounted to in their religions? What has it amounted to? Their accountability to other men. What it's amounted to is to religious bondage. And there are elders boards and deacon boards and accountability partners allowing them to put other people in religious bondage. So this maverick and, and this unaccount, this guy who has no accountability, how come we are able to let people have liberty, which is in harmony with Scripture? 
what they're doing is not. How does that work? It's because they have focused on men. They have not, you know, one time I told Terry Long over at Calvary Chapel, I said, you know what, Terry? Jesus is my accountability partner. Oh, right. <laughs> Every time someone says that, man, that's the biggest load. Yeah, they are headed for big, big trouble. Really? Really? So Jesus, as my accountability partner, has taught me that the Spirit is Him, and where the Spirit is, there's liberty, and people have the right to choose and not be burdened by anything like tithes and warnings and all this stuff. You have accountability partners, and you're placing tithes as a number one topic, at least hit on four times a month, and, and warnings of the second coming, and all the other stuff you, you spout out there. Which one has been the better accountability partner, my brother? So think about this stuff, folks. Think about it. Ask yourself, what is the fruit of liberty and love? And this stuff is done in love. I know I'm impassioned. Let me tell you, you can walk in here. I don't care who you are. We're going to love you. You're welcome. People I talk about openly now, love them, brothers and sisters. But the pastors are held to a higher standard. Those are their own words. And that's what I'm doing. I'm holding them to the higher standard. What is the liberty you find in your religion? If liberty and love are not primary, primary through Christ, laws, legalisms, impositions, bondage, uh, you're in religious prison. You're in a prison. Come and test what we're saying. Come and discover whether you experience more religious liberty with our approach or less. Just, just, just test it out. Challenge it. Then go to these so-called Christian churches in the valley, whether you or wherever you live out there, if you're watching, and listen carefully to what is being said. There are churches that don't preach tithes. They don't even use the word. But what they do is say, you know, the Lord wants a, a, a cheerful giver. And there's a, it's incumbent upon you. That money's not yours. As the, as the worship leader is playing. You know, those, those funds aren't yours. They don't preach tithes, but boy, they pass that plate and there's a push. Money, root of all evil, present in the body like no other. Listen for clues of your liberties being taken away. Listen for them. Go to The Rock. That's a church locally here. I think they've got a couple places now. Listen to what is being said and done in Jesus' name. Listen to the restrictions that come out over the pulpit for families, couples, raising children, sin life, baloney. Listen to it. Appeals to the law. Go to Calvary Chapel. Listen to the fear-mongering and the appeals for tithes. All of them will preach some freedom in Christ. That's what makes them great. We expect Christian churches to preach freedom in Christ. It's what keeps people coming, but they will mix in moments of truth with chains, and that just comes in. Go to any Reformed church in the valley or in the world. If they take their theology seriously, chains, chains, chains. That was, I mean, that's all that that guy was about, their founder. Head out to South Mountain. Go witness one of their shows and watch the manipulations. They're subtle, they're overt but they are all in place to feed the religious machine. All at the expense 
of the individual, all at the expense of individual people who ought to have a liberating, free, open relationship with Christ Jesus. Challenge me. I'm wrong all the time. Challenge us. Any of that. You name the topic or whatever. But I guarantee you, you sit down, you want to challenge it. We will show you how they have taken biblical principles and manipulated them into some form of bondage in some way or another when you sit down and really think about it. People exiting Mormonism are not aware of these shenanigans. This is what started the whole thing for us. They are trusting. Many of them are seeking. Many of people leaving Catholicism or other places are seeking for something in these churches they're wandering into, and they can be taken captive without even being aware of it by you guys. You're taking them captive. They don't wander in and you welcome them and, and you say whatever, be relaxed, do just no, 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 no. You know, you've got your ways. I've seen them. I got, I got a stack of programs today from a friend from all the different churches. And, and I can see, you can see right through them. We're going to share them sometime. Go through them. You won't believe what the manipulations these people are being fed as they walk into a church where they're just seeking truth and a, re a real relationship with Christ, which means absolute and total liberty with them and him and him and them. These Mormon people, they go in and we've seen it. After a while, they say, you know, everything I'm seeing in this place is the same stuff I just came out of. And guess what happens to many of them? They go to agnosticism or atheism, and they never come to church again. Once burnt, twice shy, twice burnt, we're talking scorched earth. And that is the saddest thing I have witnessed in my time here in this state, of people who have come out, they have tried to understand Christ and Christianity, and the, the church they've gone to has failed them. So we are openly addressing this stuff out of love for our LDS family and friends, out of love for people leaving other religions, out of love for the Lord, and yes, even out of love for the religious leaders, who admittedly, in all probability, are just operating off what they have been taught, off the traditions they know, and possibly out of fear to change things up. Like we said last week, it would be wonderful if those pastors lived by what they preached. They tell their congregants, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust Jesus. Guy goes to them and says, I lost my job. I don't know if I get it. Trust the Lord. He'll get you one. Just keep praying. Keep trying. You know, trust the Lord. But they don't do that themselves. Let me let you in on a little secret. I said a lot of things that I hope would happen. But if, we, if I could have one goal in this state achieved by meeting with these other pastors, I can't get everything I want. They think I'm nuts anyway. But if I can just influence every Christian church in this state to drop the collection of money, drop the use of tithes, get rid of donation appeals, building funds, any of that stuff, get rid of the bags with the two handles on it and the little sack, get rid of the plate. You, can, you have a box, you have a place where people can put their money if they want and you leave it at that, and you see if God supports your ministry in your, in your church. Let's see if God through the people does. Can you do that? Are you willing to do that? Do you have the balls as a pastor to go up 
before your congregation and say, you know what? We're done with putting it on you. We're going to put it on God. And we're going to let him show us that we are in his favor by the generosity you have on your hearts. Some of you are poor. You don't have jobs. Some of you can't afford to pay anything. Don't. Don't. Just come and enjoy what we have here. But we're going to turn this corner. If every Christian church in this state would do that, we would be better prepared to receive the Mormons that are coming in. We would be just markedly better. But how many will do it? The excuses ad nauseum of why that isn't possible. Unbelievable. So, there's that. Let me give you a little update on some of the stuff that happened last week. We're doing this live and online like we've always done. So you're going to grow and learn about the things. And I'm just really being open now. And I'm always going to be from this point forward. So uh, we had Jason Wallace. First guy, Pastor Jason Wallace, Magna Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He's been a regular at wanting to debate. He's been on here three or four times, which he reminded me about. That night I got an email from Jason. I am willing to come and defend the biblical truths of the Bible. It makes me laugh. It's like Erasmus talking to Luther, uh, you know. But I do have to admit, at least he came to me. And at least he said, I am willing to come and do that. So good for him. And, and I told him, we'll get back to you at the first of the year. And we're working on something to go on so that we can do that. Uh, last week I called the pastor's of the, of the state cowards. What I was referring to there was the Greg Johnson thing where he got everybody behind my back to unify and go to the station and get me kicked off without any of those pastors coming to me and telling me that they were doing it. Not one of them ever came to me. So that's what I meant by cowards, that they're cowards in the, in the face-to-face. And speaking of Jason Wallace, after he gave me the email and after we agreed that I would get in contact with him, he gets online, which is, which is the uh, place of cowardice, in my opinion, and he starts in on his snide stuff about my person. Well, the cowardice I'm talking about with that, that online persona of aggression, but the face-to-face cowardice, it was proven when I went into a Carl's Jr. four months ago, five months ago, and I walk in and over against the walls, Jason Wallace. And this guy has been ripping me apart for a few years, and we haven't had a face-to-face since he started. So I walk up, and he doesn't know I'm coming. And I stand over him, and he's on his computer. And I go, Jason Lawless. Now, with God as my witness, he looked up at me, and he went, like, what's wrong with this guy? It was a guilty conscience is what it was. You know what he did? Oh, hi. And then he gets his wallet out, and he takes a card out, and it says something about reaching Mormons. He goes, here. Like, what? You make me forget that you've been abusing me? That's the cowardice I'm talking about. If you're an apostle for Christ, if you're a Christian and you have truth, step up and just stop the snide stuff, the online BS. Just talk it out man to man, woman to woman. And just say, I don't like what you're doing. You know who I appreciate? Dave uh, Nelson across at K2. He's the head pastor of a mega church, mega church for this state. This guy emails me and says, listen, my wife and I want to take you and your wife out for dinner. You know, ostensibly it's going to be to talk. 
I said, that'd be wonderful. And I said, it says a lot that you've come to me to do that. I'll let you know what happens with that. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Right there. Straight up. This is what I saw. This is what you're doing. Let's talk. But we don't get that in the faith anymore. Because we have these online communities of everybody just ripping everybody apart. Cowards is what they are. Every time you see somebody who's representing Christ in cowardice, writing evil against other people on that thing, see it for what it is. Don't participate in it. Walk from it. Had another guy, uh, he's a pastor out in Draper, Nathaniel Taylor of Hidden Valley Presbyterian Church. He wants to come on and explain why he teaches what he teaches. I think that's wonderful. Another person uh, that is not lacking cowardice. Someone who's willing to actually lead in this state and step forward with their faith. You know, this, this idea behind ties being unitedly agreed upon to get rid of it, Greg Johnson should have done that. He should have done that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Instead of worrying about who's going to become the next American president, he should have been going around and trying to make the churches a un an accommodating place for exiting people to come and learn about Jesus. Uh, you don't see that from that leadership, do you? All right, one final thing before I have a bullet put through my head. You're not going to like this. I can guarantee, well, mo many of you won't, because I'm going after a sacred cow that has been impervious to Christian scrutiny for 40 years, 50 years. Uh... Gerald and Sandra Tanner have done some really wonderful work in leading people out of Mormonism. Without ever meeting her or talking to her, our ministry in 2006 fully endorsed every show endorsed and promoted uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry and still do. It is a phenomenal outreach to Latter-day Saints. And hats off to Gerald and Sandra for the work they have done in bringing people out of Mormonism. Over the past four years, Sandra has decided, amidst a gaggle of Calvinist friends, to attack me personally. I've had, I've had first-hand accounts telling me, and I've also seen things online. And, of course, that hurt. I always thought we were friends. I didn't respond to her in kind, because I wasn't prepared. I didn't really know where I stood on things yet. Plus, I have really respected that ministry and her. A couple of years ago, I got word back that Sandra was calling me an irresponsible leader. Quote. And so, I did what scripture says. This was getting to the point, okay, I've heard enough. I'm going to call her. I'm going to go just like, other, like Dave Nelson came to me. I'm going to call her. And I explained to her what I've been told, and I said, is this true? She wouldn't deny it. But what she did do was rationalize her having said it by saying the person she was talking to her goaded her into making the comment. There was no apology. There was nothing about, I don't think it was probably right for me to do. I'm sorry. I should have said it to your face at least. And we hung up, and I realized we're not friends anymore. Or have a connection in the body, which is how she sees it. I don't see it that way, but... Recently, and according to my sources, she's back at it. 
with the pause button being taken off, it's time to speak plainly with the hope of liberating more people from religious bondage. Joan Didion is a famous writer, really good writer. She was married to her husband 23 years, John Gregory Dunn, who at a dinner table with her one night fell over dead right there in front of her. And for a brief period, Didion believed he was suddenly going to walk back into the house and be part of her life. Realizing that was an insane idea after a while, she did what she frequently did when dealing with personal pain, and she wrote a book. And it's called The Year of Magical Thinking. And it's considered one of her best out of 33 books. In relationship to Sandra Tanner, certainly a sacred cow in the realms of Mormonism and Mormon history and apologetics, and one who is almost impervious to evangelical criticism, her decades of magical thinking need to come to an end. With that thinking being the idea that we can simply prove what's wrong with Mormonism and then sit back and allow Christianity writ large to care for people who leave the faith. The approach is irresponsible, it's unkind, and it's akin to the U.S. entering into a country and liberating it from an oppressive force only to turn around and leave or abandon that company to their own devices, which is akin to leaving the Mormons spiritually starving with nowhere to go. The approach almost leads to more suffering in people's lives than if they had ever left Mormonism in the first place. As we made in the example of the Bolshevik Revolution or, uh, or uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, last week. See, this is what you have done for the past 50 years, Sandra, living with the magical thinking that to extract someone from one twisted faith was sufficient, but to not investigate and expose the traps that await them outside of Mormonism. Perhaps you don't feel inclined that that's not your call. That's fine. But don't call me an irresponsible leader because I have seen that that's necessary to do in the ministry. Instead of just calling Mormons out for what's wrong with them, warning them about what else is out there. Or perhaps your ministry relies on the benevolence of the churches and you would rock too many boats and make too many waves if you stepped out and warned people about what awaits them outside of the Mormon faith. Maybe that's possible. Let me ask you some questions here, my sister. You know, publicly and out in the open and not ad hominem attacks, not against your person like you do to me, okay? But in an effort for you to explain some of your beliefs as an ex-Mormon to the world, you've been really good at showing how LDS people have been so stupid to follow Joseph Smith's teachings on the makeup of God and how he manufactured and contradicted his explanations of God over time. My question for you is, have you given any time to show that the same thing could be true in the history of Christianity? Have you examined, given any time or thought to the notion of, of the Trinity? Any. Now, maybe you have. If so, proclaim it and explain why. And let everybody know who's coming out of Mormonism why the Trinity is true. But let's not stop there. That's an easy one. Can you 
You associate with a lot of Calvinists, Sandra. Are you a Calvinist? Why don't you explain to the Mormons who you're leading out of Mormonism that you're a Calvinist, that you're a five-point Calvinist, that you actually believe that God has created the mass of people knowing full well he's only going to pick a few to live with him and knowing full well the rest he has elected to burn forever in hell. Why don't you tell exiting Mormon people before they know the truth about Mormonism that this is what they're going to come into? How come you don't share that with them? Is it too risky for you? Or maybe you're not a Calvinist. You hang out with Calvinists. You associate with Calvinists. You know, I don't see Bill McKeever going off on his website and explaining the Calvinism he embraces. This God who I can't comprehend. You associate with them. Come on, Sandra. Tell the exiting Mormons that you believe in this God. Or maybe you're not a Calvinist. Maybe you're an Arminianist. You know, you believe in a God who, who really loves people, but he can't do anything about their free will. So he knew before he created them that they would choose wrongly and just, they just have to all go to hell and burn forever. You believe in that God, Sandra? Share that with the exiting Mormons. Are you doing anything good in their lives by stripping them of the thing that they know and love with God and having them come out only to see this, this monster of a God that the religions have created? As a responsible leader that you are, Sandra, where do you stand? Are you responsible enough to stand for biblical truth? Tell everybody, what are you? If so, exactly what are your beliefs? Wouldn't that be fair to everybody to know what's out there once they leave the Mormon church? Do you believe in the evangelical hell, Sandra? Believe it's forever and ever? You're going to be able to tell somebody who exits Mormonism and their son kills himself because he's a homosexual that, yeah, he's in hell. Burn it forever if you didn't know Jesus. You're going to explain that evangelical uh, situation to them? Or are you going to back off from that? If you back off from it, explain that you would back off from it. Or do you have the guts? You feel like you're being a responsible leader, Sandra, by not telling people that that is what Christians typically believe. Hell is forever and ever and ever. It's a literal burning place. And that that's where everyone goes who hasn't known Jesus in this life when they die. If you don't believe in this, it's only fair to explain why. Both to the Christians who rely on you and to those who don't. How about tithes, Sandra? How about authority of men? You criticize the Mormons for following a man. If you're a Calvinist, who do you think you're following? If you're a Protestant, who do you think you're following? I mean, you're critical of me trying to discover all the angles of truth that are out there so that people coming out of the faith can understand it. And you say that's irresponsible leadership. While you sit back quietly, not saying a word to anybody about what to expect once they leave that religion. Maybe you don't know any better. That ignorance is your justification. Time for a change, Sandra. I suggest that the decades of magical thinking need to end for you, my sister. And now, while telling Mormon people everything that's wrong about them, how about including in your website and in all your literature what else is wrong out there? 
That's only fair. It's only right. It's the right thing to do. If you're willing to start telling people openly and in contradiction to your Calvinist friends that you believe the faith is subjective, that there may be a possibility for people after this life who don't know Jesus, who haven't accepted him here, who have rejected him here, that they don't go to hell forever, that maybe the second coming has already happened, if you're willing to let people believe as they want to believe, and you're willing to talk about the Trinity as though it's not hard and fast, there are some things we don't understand about it, come join us, Sandra. We'd make a great team. But you're not going to do that. You're just going to sit back behind the camera. Price is too high, sister. Too much to lose. So you won't sacrifice that part of your life for others. Maybe you really honestly believe in Reformed theology. Eternal hell for most. Limited atonement. Ties religious authority. If that's the case, explain that to people leaving Mormonism. Have a big, bold thing on your website that says, by the way, when you leave Mormonism, understand that you need to go to another church where men will have authority over you, where you will be almost manipulated into paying donations, that you're going to be warned of the second coming which is imminent, that God has only created some and elected them to be his and the rest are going to burn in hell. Put that on your website and explain that to everybody coming out of the church. I'll wrap it up here. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413. It's painful. It's like a doctor entering in to the waiting room where a beautiful woman sits, and he has to tell her, you know, your face is full of cancer. And by the time I'm done with it, most of it's going to be gone. Plastic surgery will help, but it's going to be pretty unfortunate and pretty ugly. But if you want to live, this is what we need to do. I want people to be free in Christ. And I want that to happen from every level possible. And it's going to come by the ugly stuff that you're seeing here. Again, it's not personal. I am just trying to wake people up to the fact that they have been in magical thinking for years. Time for it to end in order that we can have a better place for people to go. Let's go to Anthony on line one. Anthony, you are on Heart of the Matter 2.0. All right. How are you doing tonight? I'm impassioned <laughs> and sad. That's, that's cool. I, I, I watched the show on my phone, so I was on hold for a while there, so I don't know what happened previously. Oh, you're probably lucky. And, <laughs> I just I just caught the uh, initial um, uh, when you were talking about Sandra uh, Tanner, but uh, I did want to address too that I did uh, comment on some YouTube videos and uh, that you have over this current you know the 2.0 situation that you have going on. Yeah. And uh, so I'm the Anthony Carlisle that's up there. So if you see those comments, like that's real and. Uh, the other thing is, like, I've called them previously, and um, it's just, like, 
like I mentioned before when I told you like I that I think it was Matt Slick. I made mention of what I like I had that voice going, Hey, uh tune in, you know, and that was a, uh, a very similar feeling that I had from last week. Huh. And then to see the um the new, the new intro, like it literally did, like give me like tears of joy. Like <laughs> Sean is becoming himself, like he's expressing himself. Yeah, and I do enjoy that kind of music, but like I I understood the theme and the motif behind what you were doing. And uh, actually, I was driving at the time and just had the phone playing and listening to you. And you know the music and the situation going on, and then later on, I uh, visually saw it, and so like I saw like what you're aiming at, like with uh, the visuals and the different churches and the uh, just everything paralleled with what you were saying. And the it's not necessarily I find you doing an attack. I really like how you're approaching it with a confrontation. Yeah, with uh, the churches, and it's just like the beauty of it to me is so monumental, and I love this 2.0. Awesome. It's a beautiful thing. Hey, one thing, let me just tell you, Anthony, I appreciate that you could see through what we're doing. I've had people who do not get it at all. They think I've lost my absolute mind, but I'm glad you could understand that there's an artistic flair to this. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know if they can really comprehend sign all that kind of thing. I thought, that, yeah, it just depends on the, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, uh, it still goes back to, um, like, the one thing that I really wanted to address with you that I still find, like, because, uh, like, I, I looked at the previous um, episodes that I spoke upon with you before, and people were thinking, like, I was inebriated or I was, like, out of my mind or something. And it's just, like, I have so many kind of topics and ideas that I want to address with you. And then I have, like, this finite time, so I sound kind of haphazard. Oh, you're you fine. Know? And so it's just, um, it's, it's just one of those things. And uh, I just, I don't know, I am... Like, you've helped me out through some really dark times in my life, and just listening to the shows, you know, upon Mormonism, and I've uh, extrapolated myself out of that. Praise God. So, so, like, when I was, you know, from the first episode that I've, you know, called in, you know, it's just like I've made a lot of life changes within me and my daily living. So it's just I've gotten out of all of that and tried to find uh, a way to understand Christ and uh, it's just like like it's just paralleled with very, like what I'm trying to do with so that's why I find it so amazing for me to be like I can come back and it's like you're you're hitting on what I'm at so I, I kind of yeah it's you know it's um, uh, it's not like uh, I was going to say Oh, it's all about me. You know, it's not about me. It's about, like, I don't think I'm the only one that's out there that is at this page that needs this kind of, hey, look at this. We can go on YouTube and see Sean. Well, I'm glad you relate. I'm glad you relate, Anthony, because, uh, you know, that helps me not feel so alone, too. So onward we go. People who see Christ for what he is and trying to follow him authentically and... And uh, really appreciate the call, brother.
Yeah, well, uh, so just this my question, not just necessarily this call being a commentary, but it's just like what I was trying to say before with my last call with the military um, innuendo was just that, uh, that agape love uh, correlation. So it's like now we're at this point where we are our individual selves. Yeah. It's just like how do we really correlate like you were saying with you know the people that don't understand you and your perspective whereas me i understand you and i love it so it's just that matter of how do we find that kind of cohesion that i was speaking of before and it's like i know where you're coming from and your love is pure for god and i see that there's no joke with that and it's just like i how do we go about like i understand you love god i understand you love jesus your focus is jesus how do we angle the people that do not see this to comprehend your angle of this is who I am, this is what I'm about? Well, I, th I, I think, yeah, I think it's a good point, and I think your question is valid. And the answer seems to be, from what I can see, uh, it's through the fruit of the Spirit, which is by and through love, joy, peace, long-suffering, <laughs> temperance with people who don't agree with us, don't agree with the way we see things, may be right in their assessment over ours, and may be wrong. It's just really about that love in the end. In the end, it is love. And it that is. is the truth. It is, brother. Appreciate it again, right. Anthony. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Thank okay, you, John. Talk to you later. Bye. Right. This is from Keith. He says, uh, you put a call out for others to come to the show and defend the way they do Christianity. Um, in the studio, will it be on the phone? How about Catholics? Just to let you know, I'm working on a thing for 2018, uh, and I'm calling it tentatively, it'll be a two-day thing, calling it um, why our approach is the best approach to Christianity on the face of the earth. I have the, uh, someone who's at the Cathedral of the Madeline who's going to do it. He's a priest, Catholic priest. Uh, I have somebody from uh, Presbyterian Church who will be with us. And I'm going to try to invite every pastor, even ones I've criticized, to come and, and offer in, in, in a, a conference setting that will tape a presentation of why their approach, specific approach, is the best approach to the faith on the face of the earth. Now, if someone is a pastor and they don't believe their approach is the best approach, that's kind of embarrassing. Uh, you would think that at least any pastor would say, well, I think... The approach we take is the best because. So I don't see why anybody be, would be reticent to, to doing it. Uh, even even a, a non-denominational evangelical community of pastors all should want to participate to explain clearly why theirs is superior to any other. And if we can get those on tape, I think it would be fascinating archive uh, just so that we can look. I tried to talk with uh, somebody with the Greek Orthodox. And, uh, of course, we're going to talk to all the others. LDS, too. We'll be contacting them. So look forward to that. Catholics will be included. Three minutes? Three minutes left. Listen, uh, really quickly, can't read these. Got a great email from Chris uh, who says that they have, are going through the same thing with religion. Got an email here uh, from Mark G who says, Don't let anyone tell you you lack love. You have great love. Uh, that, uh, I appreciated that greatly. Uh, from Jordan, who says, I have some questions just so I can get a better grasp on what you're trying to accomplish. The whole point of this new approach is to free people from religious bondage, correct? 
isn't that uh, who ha it isn't about who has right doctrine. We still want to be subjective in our approach to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And of course, that is right. We want to maintain that subjectivity. This is not an attack on people who view their approach to Christianity, doctrines, philosophy, rights, practices differently. That is not what this is. The only reason we're going hard is, is on the pastors who are usurping liberty from the lives of individuals. They ought to know better. That's what this is about. Uh, dear brother, just listen to tonight's show. This is exactly why I don't go to church. I love the Lord with all my heart. I teach my children what I know and have learned from the Bible of 30 years. I have not found a church in 30 years of being a lover and follower of Christ that teaches the Bible and goes on and talks all about some horror stories of what she experienced. This is from Susan uh, in, in her uh, aim at finding a Christian church. We've had some uh, great <coughs> emails, great comments, and then we've had some people who are concerned. And I just want to reiterate, people are always concerned when I kind of open up and start going at it. The pause button was pushed. Now we're back, and I'm back to wanting to dialogue, wanting to engage and question. And I hope you'll continue with us and join with us over the course of time. And then we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter 2.0.